G'day everybody and welcome to What the Dictator, the podcast where we talk about dictators. I'm LK and that's Rossi. G'day. Hey mate, how's your um shit? Mate, I have spent the last 24 hours organizing the apps on my phone by colour. Okay. So pretty good actually. I remember when you used to organize your books by colour, which is the shittest idea because how do you ever find a book? Because colour is not an order. Sorry, now I, I didn't realise how much rage I had lying dormant. <laughs> well, that's exactly what I've done on the, with the apps on my phone. But, like, that's not a system because, like, if you, if you think you have a thought, right, you're like, oh, Instagram, and then you go to your phone and you don't go to social media or, like, photo or whatever, you have to remember what colour Instagram is. What colour's Instagram? I don't fucking know. It's like orangey, pinky, purple. And so is it in the orange or the pinks or the purples? Oh, well, it kind of comes out of orange, you know? It's like a a blend colour. I just think, I mean, live your own life, but I think you're in for a world of hurt. Yeah, well, you should see the the page that is the G Suite stuff because it looks amazing. (laughs) Wow. At the top, I have to apologise for doing something grotesque last week's ep- in last week's episode. Oh, yeah? I, I said the word deliverable in the same podcast where we say a paz and talk smack. So very sorry for using that language. What was the deliverable in relation to, do you remember? Uh, yeah, it was – I said something like um, – who did I do last week? What's his name? Fucking oh, oh, Mussolini. I said in terms of deliverables, like his first term in government. Anyway, how are you? Uh, I am good. Uh, you'll be pleased to know that Trump did not win the election and it appears that the only person that doesn't know that is Donald Trump himself. Um, so we're just sort of watching that unfold on the daily. Yeah, I have to admit I've turned on his Twitter, like notifications for his Twitter feed just because I'm just dying to know what he's going to say. There's a lot of all caps going on. Yeah, yesterday tweeting, we we will win (laughs) or something like that. Mate, you, you won't. Nah, you won't. Nah. Well, someone said to me the other day that maybe on inauguration day, which is in January, both of them will just show up and it's going to be really awkward. Yeah, that would be so good. I wonder what the betting odds are for like how many days till he concedes because what, Al Gore took 37 days to concede? Yeah, but Al Gore had a reason. Anywho, today we are here to talk about Saddam, insert a lot of middle names I can't pronounce, Hussein. Woo! I don't know if we celebrate that, but uh, I'm looking forward to finding out about this bastard. Yeah, look, as you pointed out uh, before we hit the record button, there is a lot to his story and a lot of it is within living memory. And um, this podcast tends to do a fly by the seat of your pants slimline version of history. So that is what we will be getting today. But I heavily encourage people to go and do their own research because... um. 
that part of the world is just weird. Like learning about the changes that like Iraq and Iran have been through in in the last like 50 years is really fascinating. Wow. Yeah. Also controversial opinion. Okay, go. <laughs> Maybe Saddam was a little bit hot back in the day. If you're into mustaches. <laughs> if you what? Into mustaches. Um, I'm just going to Google image search him right now. Yeah, do. You, are you saying a young? Yeah. Saddam. Saddam. Oh, yeah. When he's just rocking a mo, he looks quite attractive. He's got a nice smile. <clears throat> he does, doesn't he? Mm. Doesn't look great when they're sort of pulling him out of his cave that he was living in, but um, we'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he looks like all of us after, you know, lockdown, doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, he does. Saddam Hussein was born on April 28th, 1937, so he's a bit younger than I thought, actually. Yeah, right? Yeah. And he was the fifth president of Iraq from 1979 until 2003, just for a reference. That's a long time. Yeah. Look, it's always a long time with these dictators because they uh, hold fake elections and pretend to win them and everybody just goes along with it because they don't want to get shot. <laughs> Good reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so things didn't start out great for him. Before he was born, both his brother and father died of cancer. I don't know what type of cancer, but they died. That's okay, cancer. mate. I think you can generalise that. Yeah. It wasn't fun for anybody. Um, and his mother was like so dev, like really dev, that when she found out she was pregnant with Saddam, she tried to abort the fetus with a kitchen knife. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and then when he was born, because she didn't really want him to be born, she didn't want to raise him, she didn't want anything to do with him, so she gave him to an uncle who, like, raised him. Oh, wow. So, okay, so it was the only child at that point. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Which is just, I mean, oh, there's so many novels in that part of the story alone, you know? Yeah. Um. So she did, the mother did remarry uh, and have three more sons, and the stepdad was a bit of a shit cunt, but it sort of didn't matter because uh, Saddam didn't really live with them, and his uncle was more like the father, but it still made his relationship with his mother really strange. Oh. Yeah. Well, this is just getting, I mean, we're two minutes in and it's already sad. I know, it's so sad. It gets a bit fun. So he's really, really smart. And he goes to uni and goes to law school. But then after three years, he drops out of law school to join this political party called the Bahar Party, which I just had to look up how to pronounce. And the what party? The Bahar. Eh? Sounds, eh? Like a, sounds like a porno. <laughs> you would say that. An Iraqi porno. <laughs> Where everyone just gets in the Bahar. <laughs> wow. oh my god mate the Bahath the Bahath <laughs> from a dirty porno to a clean porno in less hey! than 10 seconds 
what a dickhead. So he joined this very serious political party with a very serious name. Um, and he basically joins it because his uncle is all about it and his uncle's like the shit. Like he does everything his uncle wants him to do. And the political party are all about pan-Arabism, which means that they basically want to make one giant Arab nation instead of having like a bunch of different ones like Iraq, Iran, Saudi Arabia, whatever. These people want to make it one big one so it's more powerful and people can get looked after better, which is, I don't know enough about the Middle East, but sure, you know? Yeah, there's lots of um, countries that end in ands and stands, right, and he wants to combine them all. Yeah, 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 yeah. When he drops out of law school and joins his political party, guess what job he does to pay the bills? Becomes a political journalist. Negative. What's the next top job that a bastard like this would do? He becomes a teacher. He becomes a fucking teacher. Of course he does. Well, I don't want to spoil, but the only weird thing I know about him is that he also penned a romance novel. I know. I couldn't believe that. It's so weird that all these dictators take this path, try and go to uni, drop out, become a teacher, pen a romance novel. Yeah, either a romance novel or a secret newspaper. Yeah, and then commit hideous crimes against humanity. Yeah, and be like super chill about it. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Yep. I mean, key takeaway from learning about dictators is just is a weird pattern. Super, <laughs> super weird. Should I apologise for saying key takeaway as well? Is that too corporate? <laughs> I think you should, yes. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> it's 1958, which is the year after he joined the party, and um, they are trying to overthrow the current government. And there's a whole bunch of reasons why they do this. But essentially, um, Iraq used to be under colonial rule. And so even though that at this time they weren't under colonial rule, they there are still a lot of old bones there. You know, like the people in power were just old people who thought the old way. And this party was full of young people who were like, fuck this, we're going to fuck shit up and build our own country, which is admirable. Yeah, agree. Yeah. Good on you, Baha. Also this leader at the time who I think you would pronounce his name Kasim, it's Q-A-S-I-M. Um, there are rumours that he was a dirty communist, but um, I'm not sure that he actually was. That's all a bit unclear. Anyway, so... Saddam and a bunch of his friends get a bunch of guns. They, like, go to assassinate this guy who's sitting in his car with his driver. And Saddam, this is how this is one version of the story, is that they're surrounding this car trying to catch them by surprise. Saddam gets a bit nervous, freaks out, starts shooting too early, and then they spray the car with bullets and run away and thought that they'd killed the guy, but turns out they didn't. And he he was, like, shot in the arm and the shoulder but survived and was able to, like, call the authorities and be like, here's the bitches that tried to kill me. 
Okay, so the president survives and is like, Saddam and his friends tried to kill me, so Saddam flees to Syria. and then- That's the best place to flee. That's where everyone flees to. That's the home base. It's like the New York City of the Middle East. Yeah, or it's like Silicon Valley. It's like <laughs> really good at tech, you go to Silicon Valley. If you're really good at Islamic terrorism, you maybe go to Syria. So he's in Syria from 1960 until 1963. And here's where it gets confusing because it says he graduated high school in Syria, but then I thought he already went to law school and then he goes to law school in Syria again, but then drops out again. Oh, so he's he's interested in education, but he just can't quite get there. Yeah, can't follow through. But geez, once he figured out how to be a dictator, he's stuck to that. Yeah. It's odd, right, that you would um, try and assassinate a country leader and then flee to a country and then be like, oh, I've got nothing to do, let's study. Yeah, like what? <clears throat> anyway, yeah. Um, so he doesn't succeed in his law degree because uh, in 1963 there's a new president of Iraq and they want to overthrow that one too. So this time Saddam goes back to Iraq and instead of killing the guy, uh, Saddam puts a knife to his throat and like walks him onto a plane and says, you have to leave Iraq forever or I'll slit your throat. And that did it and, and the guy did. Wow, so ballsy. Yeah, I know, I know. But also that could not be true because once Saddam became like the big boss, he was big into propaganda, but we'll get to that later. So that could be a lie. Oh, okay, yeah, got you, yep. But it also could be true. I like it. It's very Hollywood. So then by 1968, the Bahath Party are in power and this Saddam guy is deputy president behind this other guy called al hyphen Very sure that's not how you pronounce it. Okay. <laughs> that's how we're going to, though. That's how we're going to say it. Um, and Saddam starts to build a reputation as being really, really progressive. So um, Iraq, if you don't know, has a lot of different uh, tribes almost, like a lot of different mm-hmm. people speak different languages and different ethnicities and different religions and the economy kind of runs down those same fault lines and so for a long time people have been trying to figure out how to get all these different groups to live under one country and like in harmony and stop the infighting and so Saddam Hussein his strategy was basically not unlike Castro it was like well we're going to improve the quality of life and make everyone happier but anytime anyone speaks up about anything we're going to do whatever we can to shut them up was the strategy. okay so don't come complaining to uncle Saddam if you've got a problem with your neighbor because he'll cut your fucking head off okay wow yeah Iraq obvi as we'll all remember circa 2003 has a lot of oil and oil is very valuable. So one of the first things he did, which is also very Castro-esque, he um, banned international companies from owning any of the oil reserves so that the people of Iraq could get the money from selling that oil. 
which is very that is actually a very good fucking idea yeah yep yeah and then he and then Iraq was really really rich right for the first time because oil's fucking amazing especially in the 70s everyone was like yeah give me some um and so he used that money for social services and he had um a campaign to fight illiteracy because apparently a lot of people back in the day were illiterate in Iraq and he made compulsory free education for everybody and amazing yeah hundreds of thousands of people learned to read uh the government supported the families of soldiers everyone had access to free hospital subsidies were given to farmers who couldn't make their crops and he won an award from the united nations for being like an example of how a country in the middle east can survive wow impressive so he's off to a good start He's off to a good start. I would hedge a bet that he was probably having some people killed while he was doing all this, but we didn't really know about it yet. Yeah. Yeah, because there'll be a lot of people that probably tried to stop him from doing this. So how's the best way to make sure that you can do it? Kill them. You know what you don't do? Shoot at them, think you've killed them and walk away. You bloody make sure that they're dead this time. Yeah, that was a, a tough lesson for him to learn first up, but a good one. Yep, boy, he he learned it well. Yeah, um, he's still VP right now, by the way, in the seventies when he's okay. doing his good stuff. So here's where the US enter the picture. In 1972, he signed like a treaty agreement with the Soviet Union, which really um, really pissed off America because we're. Cold War, America does not like the Soviet Union and so on and so forth. And so Iraq becomes a huge pain in their ass. And so our old friends at the CIA financed a rebellion by one of the tribes in Iraq called the Kurds. Have you heard people talk about that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So the CIA funded this rebellion and said, hey, Kurdish people, we'll give you all these weapons and all this money if you can, like, rise up and overthrow this government because we don't like that they're fucking around with the Soviets and we don't like that they've taken all the oil and uh, that coup failed and hundreds of thousands of people potentially died. It's kind of unknown. Yeah, right. The CIA will just get up in your shit and then not tell you about it and then you read it in a Wikipedia article 30 years later and everybody's over it, you know? Yeah, but I think um, Kurdistan is still pretty fucked, isn't it? Yeah, he does continue to fuck with them uh, probably until the day he dies. Hussein was sentenced to death by hanging, despite his appeal to be executed by firing squad, as this was the capital punishment in the military. His last meal was chicken and rice with hot water and honey. What the dick? By 1979, the current president who's been a good bloke is getting a bit old and so Saddam's like, hey, mate, please have a sit down. Like, please, it's my turn. And he does. And there's a bit of argy-bargy about, like, how Saddam got him to have a sit-down because he didn't really want to and nobody really knows. But anyway, 1979, Saddam gets his shot. And he, the first thing he did was set up a meeting for, like, at the party headquarters for all the people in the party. And I'm sorry, I'm just going to interrupt because I've just, because you said 
Saddam gets his shot and then I went to Hamilton Musical and Saddam Hussein singing, not throwing away my shot, not throwing away my shot. Um, okay, so he holds, <laughs> the first thing he does, hold this big meeting at the party headquarters with all these people there orders it to be videotaped, which is weird because it's the late 70s and video cameras are hard to get. And once they start recording, he reads out this long list of all the people that have been disloyal to him in the party. And as he reads your name off the list, you're taken out into a back room. (laughs) And then you go to trial and at trial you're convicted and then you're executed. And he had 68 names on that list. From his own. Whoa. Mm-hmm. That's the first thing he did. <laughs> I mean, if that's not sending a message, I don't know what it is. Yeah. 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 Um, now, as the probably the reason why he was so hypervigilant was because next door in Iran at the time, they were undergoing a huge, huge, huge revolution that, I mean, some could say is still going on today. And, you know, there were young people riding in the streets and, what have you ironically probably similarly to way the way that Saddam was doing it when he was young but anyway we won't go there um so he was just not going to have a, have a revolution in Iraq it was he was just not going to let it happen uh it is rumored that he killed 250,000 Iraqis to prevent a revolution but at the same time he's running this epic propaganda campaign where his photos just everywhere like it's at the airport, it's in schools, it's on office buildings, it's on all the money. I um, I've got this image up of some propaganda art to glorify Saddam, and he's like, it's his face, and his hands are holding a love heart around his head, <laughs> and it's like in front of a map of um Iraq. I'm just catching up on what he did to all the Kurdish people and there are just various attacks. Between 86 and 88, he ran like an active campaign to move them where they were out of the country and he would sort of do whatever he could to get them out, like burn their houses, create mass burial pits, like you name it. He's he's just doing what he just wants to move all of them from column A into column B so they're not his problem. Wow. Yeah, and about 182,000 people were killed then. In 1990, he invaded Kuwait, which is right next door, Um, and he gave a whole bunch of reasons for that, but then he also was quoted in the press as saying, when I get something into my head, I act. It's just the way I am. When Saddam decided to invade Kuwait, it's because he thought he had the US's permission, but he didn't really. I con Nick. So, you know, he comes from this party that wants to create one central Arab country. He's got this neighbour next door in Kuwait that uh, has a lot of oil and I don't think that many people and probably thought he could just take it while no one was paying attention. Um, The issue being that the Americans cared very much about having access to that oil and so they decided to fight him on it and that is how we got the first Gulf War of 1990 which uh Americans and the West won Hooray. right yeah okay and we and America gets the oil America gets the oil um and that's when the UN start 
getting involved because there's rumours that they have all these weapons in Iraq, like weapons, some might say, Rossi, of mass destruction. I wonder how they got the weapons though. I think it's to do with this secret, not the secret, this treaty they had with the Soviet Union back in the day that pissed the Americans off the first time. Mm, maybe. Mm. I think some of them too you can make yourself, like poison gas. Surely you just whip that out in the kitchen, I don't know. Yeah. I like to think perhaps that the Americans sold them the guns. Yeah, they're yeah, tell me more about why you think that because I did read up a lot on that and it is such a nice, neat story, but the CIA are very, very good at hiding proof of these things. Yeah, they are. Mm. But, I, I mean, I don't have any evidence, but in the Hollywood version, the Americans sell them the guns and then declare war because they they get the money from the weapons, it's huge money in weapons. Yeah. And then they also get to keep the oil. Yeah, and then you've just got this mad bastard with a few weapons, but you can deal with him if he gets too out of control. That's exactly what they did, kind of. And America always has the better weapons. They don't sell him the good weapons. Yeah, that's true. But it's kind of backfired on them in this case if it is true because um, as we entered the 2000s in this story, uh, there's a whole hullabaloo about whether they have weapons of mass destruction or not. And we will remember that the Americans used that to justify invading Iraq. And then so the American and joint forces, actually, like we sent troops too, right? It was it was a coalition of forces, some might say. Mm-hmm. Massive protests globally. Anyway, so the Americans invade Iraq because they have weapons of mass destruction, they think, in 2003 and early the next year, and Saddam goes into hiding and then earlier the next year the Americans topple that famous statue of Saddam and say, you know, mission accomplished, we've won. Yep. Meanwhile, that conflict, like literally, I think there are troops still there now. Like that is not over. So they... If they thought they were going to get out of it quickly, they did not because 2003 was a long time ago. But on December 13, 2003, Saddam is found hiding in a little cave underneath a farmhouse near Tikrit, which I think coincidentally was where he was born. Hmm. Uh, and they sort of fish him out and parade him in front of everyone and he looks, as Rossi said, he looks like all of us coming out of lockdown. he was tried and um convicted to die by hanging which is very old school um so he is hung on december 30th 2006 and i remember that day because my sister got married on that day and i made a joke to her that she should name her firstborn child saddam in honor of the film. It was just a very bad joke and nobody got it. It's a, still a bad joke today. But I was Yeah, did, how did she take that on her wedding day? <laughs> thanks very much for listening and thanks for telling us about Saddam Hussein. You got it anytime. Bye. See you all of a sudden. Hey, Rossi, guess what? You're mad and I'm not. Ha <laughs> ha. No. 
We aren't journalists. No, we are not. Sometimes we get confused with the facts and our accuracy is not always on point. Agree. If you have questions for us or comments about anything we cover, you can get in touch with us on our email. Hello at lkandrossi.com or you can check out our website, lkandrossi.com. Love you. See you all of a sudden. (laughs) 